Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. We believe in conversation in this community. Everything that we lead to is about conversation. I don't have the audacity as a pastor to believe that I have three application points that work specifically for your life. I have three application points that work for my life, sometimes, and they're not always that good. And so we create space for conversation so that we can engage and hold on to something and say, hey, this is what I need for my journey and where I'm at. We participate with that in groups so we can say, hey, I need other people to participate with me. By the way, people, I know it's getting hot on here, so do not fall asleep on me. Um, And with that, you're going to break off into groups of three, four, or five people online. We're going to click you out into Zoom groups. And we have just this light question to answer in four minutes. Where are you longing for relationship? Enjoy. So I've been traveling the last three weeks, and whenever I travel, the heart, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's what I was looking for there, yes. And I miss, I miss this community. That for me, every single day uh, with New Abbey has never been a day of work. It's something that I'm passionate about, something that I feel called to. It's something that I believe in that I always told myself if there was ever a day uh, that I didn't feel that way, I would just stop and I would pass it on to to somebody else. And whenever I'm away, I just realize how much I love this place. And this place is each of you. It's the magic that happens in a room together. It's the magic that happens in smaller groups. It's the conversations that take place. It's the things that happen online. I'm just reminded always of the beauty of the narrative that we're building together, that it's a plural thing. It's a we thing that I'm incredibly thankful for. One of the greatest gifts of my life is to be entrusted with listening to so many of your stories, to hearing where you're at, to hearing the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're questioning, deconstructing or reconstructing and figuring out uh, as you're a human being. And so having listened to so many of you over the three months, the last three months, really this desire in you to reconstruct something, that New Abbey will always be a place that will be safe to deconstruct some things. That so many of you sit there right now, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck I believe. That's okay. You're figuring it out. Some of you have doubts. Some of you are wondering. Some of you are figuring. But also some of you are saying, I want to build some things and put it back together. And so for me, whenever I get a time to really be away, it's just an awesome opportunity to pray. It's a really great time to, I call it catching up on prayer, which is weird, but I do feel like it's like that where I have space where I'm not doing things and I'm just praying, God, in a way for the life of this community and how can I listen well, God, to not only the people that you've entrusted us with, but also, God, what might you have for us as a people moving forward? Where might we be going? Um, I traveled all kinds of places. We were in Lake Arrowhead with the kids. This was a beautiful picture. Uh, Look at these beautiful humans. We were there for Pride Weekend and it was just incredible to see all of these people up in Lake Arrowhead for Pride Weekend and to see two sides of it. One, to see all of our kids just be so excited. This is just a normal part of their life and how they see humanity. And also for everyone that was up there to be able to see, oh my gosh, there's kids, there's another generation that's going to see pride in a whole different way. That hopefully they see pride in a view from, from purely celebration and not having to recover from so many wounds. Um, after that, I got to fly to Seattle to do Rachel and Sam's wedding. That was beautiful. Thank you, Rachel and Sam. There you go. Sam, I didn't get one picture with you with your eyes open, but that's okay. He's just moved by the Spirit. 
When I flew to Seattle, it was interesting because every time when I, I flew in and out and I had a layover in Vegas, and there's just something so special about being in the Las Vegas airport, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like everybody getting off their plane with hope and joy in their eyes, and then everyone getting back on that plane with shame and regret on their face. It's just, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I wish I was joking, but you just saw those people sitting in their seats. They know, so does God. And so, it's okay. Healing needs to be done. Uh, and then after that, we gotta go to Wisconsin, and this is great Grammy. This is my wife's grandmother. Uh, this is a very Swedish family. Any Mexican I have in my bones did not come through to my children, or to me for that matter. So this is just, uh, probably never seen so many white people in the same place before, but that's, that's my family. They're beautiful. And all of these things are just a reminder for me of the reality that I wanna live into. That I wanna live into a reality where human beings are known and seen. I wanna live into a reality where we don't shy away from the things of Jesus, but that we believe that the ways of Jesus and practicing following Jesus actually give life to what it means to be human. That our rituals, that our practices, that our gatherings, that our prayers, that our scriptures, that our liturgy open us up even more to the beauty of this world, whether we're, we're boating somewhere at a pride festival or seeing great grandparents or we're at a Vegas airport just pondering what it means to be human, um, whatever we might be doing, that the way of Jesus opens us up to a greater reality of what it means to be known and to know God. I think in progressive communities, we're really good at growing in our capacity to be known, but somehow we shy away from and we're scared to know God. Or to even say that we have so many doubts and what does the Bible mean and Exodus was this and you know, when we look at the Pentateuch and the exegetical theory, I don't know, whatever, great. You're figuring things out, and I'm figuring those things out, and I've been in that journey a long time, but what I don't wanna lose is our capacity for relationship. More specifically, our capacity for relationship with Jesus. That I believe that that's something that we all desire and that we all want, merely by the fact that we somehow chose to be in this room in this space, and that can be a much more bigger and beautiful story in the world. And so to talk about relationship, we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about face-to-face, -face, and then if we can talk about face-to-face, then we'll get into one of my favorite Hebrew words, kavod. Say kavod with me on a Sunday morning. Ah, uh, you've passed seminary, my friends. And if we can do that, then we're going to talk about Moses. And if we can talk about Moses, then take me to the river. And if we can take me to the river, then low-key and the time variance authority for all time. Oh, come on. If you don't know what we're talking about, join the cult, my friends. Join the cult. And if we can do that, then we'll talk about Jesus. And if we can talk about Jesus, I love how many more claps I got for Loki than Jesus, but that's okay. It's okay. I'm not judging. Not judging. Uh, then we're gonna talk about positive and good. And if we can talk about positive and good, then Joel Osteen on a Sunday morning. Oh, I'm gonna change your mind on the man. Oh, speaking of that, I almost forgot my bike. Whoa. I'm a CrossFitter. It's okay, I'm professional. Yeah, no big deal. Boom. And if we can talk about Joel Osteen, then we can talk about some God parents. So I think relationship is something that we all desire in a bigger way. And for me, relationship with Jesus is dramatically impacted by one particular story of Jesus. For me, it really holds together the rest of the Bible like a binding. It holds together the Old and the New Testament, the Hebrew Bible and Christian scriptures in a way that's really powerful and beautiful. And that's the baptism story of Jesus. It's a story that I've reflected on for 15 years as a pastor and it continues to shape me and it continues to lead me in a way of trying to understand what it means to be human and how we better 
understand who God is. And so we're gonna get to that story, which is probably familiar to a lot of you. Uh, It's like two verses long, but I wanna do a lot of setup before we get there. And so before we get there, I want you to understand and I want you to get into a Jewish mindset that the Bible was written for Jews by Jews, which means this, it was written for oppressed people by oppressed people from a marginalized perspective who were dealing with the empires and the systems of their day. And so this Jesus, this Christ, this son of God had a much broader perspective for them than simply getting them to some eternal landing place one day. It was how do you have a full life now even when you're dealing with the difficulty of what it means to be human in the present. And so Jesus comes as the savior, as the liberator, as a Lord, as a king, offering a different form of reality for us to live into as human beings, that it was revolutionary, that it was transformative, and this story of Jesus being baptized really shapes that for me in a lot of different ways. And so for the Jewish people, the key figure in Judaism is Moses, that Moses was the man who saw God face to face, that had this friendship with who God is. Exodus 33 says it this way, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This was revolutionary in the ancient world, regardless of who your God was. There was this idea that the gods are somehow distant and you somehow work really, really hard doing the right things and not the wrong things so that you can get closer to the gods. What's crazy is how many of us have practiced that kind of Christianity, when the Bible has been trying to free us from that version of religion for thousands of years. That what the Bible is inviting us into is relationship. That for Moses, the evolution and the revolution that the Old Testament is providing for us in these Hebrew scriptures is that Moses was a friend of God. That Moses had face-to-face relationship with God. And that when you read Exodus 33, there's this beautiful dialogue between Yahweh and Moses where it says that Yahweh would come and would meet with Moses. And Moses says, okay, God, if we're gonna leave this wilderness and if we're gonna go into the promised land one day, how will everybody know? How will everybody know that we are your people? God, would you give me a sign? Would you let me see you face to face in a different way? And God says, you can't see my full kavod, but you can, I'll put you in this cleft of a rock and you'll see part of my glory. There's this progress that's happening in the scriptures here. And so the story in Exodus 33 goes that God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and that God passes by and Moses experiences the kavod of God. Kavod, this word for glory in the Old Testament, is this word that means like weighty, like pressure. It's like you were in a submarine thousands of feet below water and you just felt the pressure around you. It's this idea that this experience with God, that those moments where we tap into something that's just deeper and richer, and that, that we experience in a way that we have no words for, there's just such a weight to that, that you experience, you're like, man, that could only have been God. Even if I got a little bit of a taste of that thing, that was the divine. For some of you, that happened at a camp. Seriously, though. And we like to peel those memories away and pretend like it didn't happen to us and I was just somehow manipulated there because Francis Chan was just saying it passionately. Great, he was, and he was a damn good communicator. And Chris Tomlin's song just hit right, okay, I'm a sinner. Maybe you are, maybe you were, maybe you had things that you were working through. We don't have to throw it all out. Maybe in that moment, kavod, 
There was a weight that you experienced, and no matter how much you deconstruct, you'll never take that away. Maybe it was the birth of a child, that first moment where they breathe in their lungs, the air that is all God, and they cry, and you say, kavod. Maybe it was in the moments of suffering that nobody could have been there for you, and you're still here, kavod. Maybe it was a moment where you just had a conversation with a friend. Maybe it was that time that you were listening to Halo, come on, kavod. I look at William because, come on, we've sung it in here a million times, and it's beautiful. But we have these moments all over in our experience as human beings where we experience kavod, and we're collecting those moments, and we're not trying to throw that away. We're not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater in a way that leaves us um, high and dry from our opportunity for connection and relationship with Jesus. And so when we understand it from the Jewish perspective, the Jewish scripture is saying, hey, here's a prophet, prophet who had a friendship with God, and this is the thing that we're moving towards, that the salvation story of the Old Testament is the Exodus story. It's the liberation of a people group who were slaves to Pharaoh, and God frees them from that into their own promised land. And that exodus and liberation from the external systems of the world is an opportunity and an invitation for a liberation from the internal structures as well. It's freedom to say that what we all want, when we have the luxury of being freed from the pharaohs in our life, that's not enough. What you also want is the freedom to move into relationship with God so that you can feel connected and known. It's not just the absence of these things that's gonna bring you freedom, it's the connection to this relationship that's gonna bring you freedom. That's the thing that we're moving towards. And Moses is leading the people of God towards that. And so, this is the setup for who Jesus is. Now work with me here as some good students of the Bible. In the Exodus story, what is it that uh, God splits in two? The Red Sea, you're like, is this a trick question? No, it's the Red Sea, you still got it, you're good. Yeah, yeah, no, like, no, no, no trick questions here. That in this story of the Exodus story, God splits the waters in half. That in the ancient world, the waters represented chaos. And it's this moment where Yahweh is taming the chaos of the world, and you walk through on dry land into a new liberation, into a new salvation, into a new way of being. How many of us want that? How many of us have been there? Oh, you clap. I felt it. I felt a little bit of it. That's okay. Some of you have been in white church too long. All right, just get it out of you. Get it out of you. We want that liberation. We want a larger freedom with who God is. And so the Exodus story of liberation and God splitting the waters is similar to the Genesis story, that when God created the heavens and the earth, the metaphor and the poetry and the beauty of that story is, is that God separated the waters and in it, the, the world teemed with life in between. So this metaphor is already deep within and rich within Jewish tradition. And within Jewish tradition, we're already looking for another Moses. We're looking for another prophet and another leader who would lead us into the presence of God, into a face-to-face -face relationship with the divine. So when we get to the story of Jesus at the baptismal waters, this Jewish audience, these crowds, this multitude that's hanging out there, watching John the Baptist baptize all these people, they're already primed and ready for it. 
They understand in their minds that they are ready for this moment where they too can enter into these chaotic waters and maybe in this moment they will come out and experience a new liberation, a new salvation, a moment that they can point to in their life, not where everything moved towards perfection, but where they can say, but that was a moment where things changed, where I wanted to experience being a human being in a new way that they had already been open to this reality of their own tradition and their own rituals, that God does something magical in the waters, that God does something beautiful in the waters, that even just imagine water. This doesn't have to get too religious on you. How many of us just from a hard day of working in the dirt and you just pour just some beautiful life-giving water on you, just a feeling of being cleansed, a long day at the beach and you just allow that cold water to run over you from a shower. We all have that moment, that feeling of just jumping into a pool. We know that sensation just as human beings. That what I'm saying is, is that every component of these people, as they were there watching John the Baptist baptize all of them, they were experiencing something. They were there deconstructing and reconstructing. They were there saying there was a version of Judaism 2,000 years ago that wasn't working for them, and they, they wanted this new prophet, this John the Baptist, to offer them a new way of life, to offer them a new freedom. That what I'm saying is, is that for human beings for thousands of years, we've constantly been deconstructing and reconstructing. We've constantly been picking new things up and letting go of old things. We've been constantly been looking for a renewal and a different way of life. This is just what it means to be human. So follow along with me in Luke. When all of the people were being baptized, in each of the gospel stories, it shares the story in a little bit different way, but it's this idea that this was a thing that was happening. It's like Bono showed up and everybody was there. John the Baptist was this known quantity. There was a mass of humanity that showed up to these water's edges because they wanted to experience a new way of life. Let's pause here a second. For so many of us, the words that it uses, or let me say it this way, the words that it uses in the other gospels is that these sinners were there. Many of us are very uncomfortable with that language because of how it's been manipulated or used against us in our previous church cultures. So let's renew that word just a little bit because it was sinners at the water. The word for sin is not this list of an arbitrary set of rules that a Santa Claus God made up because God wanted to see if you couldn't eat shellfish or not. That's not a very interesting God. This idea of sin is this much deeper Jewish idea that's rooted in wholeness and integration. The word sin is this palpable, right, this physical touch that you can experience, see it, know it in your life, disruption of shalom or wholeness. We've all experienced that. What happens is, is that we make the arbitrary list and they don't quite work to point to the palpable disruption of shalom. For example, I am a sex addict. I have been in 12-step sex addict anonymous rooms for 15 years of my life. That wasn't very good anonymity there, but I'm telling you what's going on. I was a kid who was molested. I was a kid who went through all kinds of different things and the way that I dealt with it in the world, the way that it manifested in my life was through sexual addiction. And then I was a good evangelical. So I was told that my body is bad, flesh is bad, and sex is really bad. And so how I would deal with life for lots of years of my life, including into my marriage, almost blowing up my marriage, is that I would binge because I didn't know how to cope with life. Because no one ever taught me about integration. I know what unhealthy sexual habits look like. And I know how they disrupt the shalom of other people around me. 
What we were told was that we're, you know, the eighth grader, and we all asked our youth pastor that question, well, how far is too far? Because I want to know so I can do the rest of this stuff, because it sounds fun, to be honest, <laughs> right? Those were the wrong questions, and those were questions coming from the arbitrary list side of God, instead of questions that are rooted in wholeness. Well, Corey, maybe you should think about what it would look like to explore these things, or Corey, maybe you think about what it would look like to not explore these things, because there's some wounding or hurt in your life, and maybe when you binge and you act out in this way, you're actually damaging the shalom of other people around you. Corey, would you ever consider how your power might be being misused in some of your sexual decisions? Corey, do you see how there's a difference there? One is question asking. It's like this old school line when I was at APU, and you know, it's just a bunch of conservative evangelicals in the early 2000s just listening to audio adrenaline or whatever we were doing then. And it's like, well, is dancing a sin? That's a weird question, right? And then even though we would all like sneak off to the boogie, if you don't know what the boogie was, it was a thing, right? And uh, it was the wrong question. The real question is, is dancing a sin for me? Is drinking a sin for me? I love when Josh is up here talking about recovery. For some of you, you have a very healthy relationship with sexuality. For some of you, you have a very healthy relationship with substances. For some of you, you have a very healthy relationship with Netflix or shopping or eating or you name it. The point is, is that as human beings, there's all kinds of manifestations that come up within us, and that's how we cope to deal with the world. And we don't cope because we're evil or bad people. We cope because we're trying to care for ourselves. That's why we cope. Go ahead and clap again. I see you want to do it. And then, you know, it's like, yeah. Clappy church is a happy church. I say it a lot. So now all the people, all the sinners, all of those people who are trying to cope, who are trying to care for themselves, who are trying to figure out how to be human being, they were at the banks of the river. We were all there. All of the people who were told that they couldn't be Christian and have this sexuality were there, not because they were sinners, because someone was robbing them from a new way of life. All of those who were deconstructing but still wanted Jesus were there. All of those who wanted a radical, inclusive story of God were there because we believe that one of the ways that we care for ourselves as human beings is that we have face-to-face relationship with the divine. And so we were there and we were waiting, and we were longing. And they were at the river ready to be baptized because they were waiting to say, I too want to go into those waters and be rebirthed into a more free, integrated, holistic, radical way of life. And Jesus was baptized too. By the way, that's a radical shift to the story. Like, comma, boom, what? The perfect lamb of God, solidarity. Do you want to know what God's like? Always look to Jesus. Whenever somebody else gives you a version of Jesus that's different from what you actually read, don't listen to it. Oh, well, you got to love the sinner and not the sin. Oh, well, that could be a slippery slope. Oh, well, what about 2 Timothy? Shut up. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. I love that. I love that shut up to your conservative relatives. You guys are like, yep. Yep, now we're talking. It's good, I feel it, I get it. But that God is represented in Jesus and Jesus gives us solidarity. Jesus is like, oh, look at the gray mass of humanity along these riverbanks. All of these people who aren't wretched human beings, but all of these people who just simply want care. All of these people who want to be known. 
that a good and gracious God doesn't leave us there by ourselves on the shores of the riverbank, that a good and gracious God says, I will go in the waters with you, that a good and gracious God says, I will show you an even bigger and more beautiful way, and that Jesus goes into the waters, and as, as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. That's a trip, by the way, if you're there. You're like, I just saw Bill get baptized, but that, that didn't happen, right? And now this, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Why all of the scriptures hang on this moment is that Jesus is showing his authority. Again, if you were a good Jew and you're thinking about the life of Moses and you're thinking about all of these other scriptures like the Genesis story and the Exodus liberation story and how God frees people out of the chaos of the waters into a liberation and a salvation for new life, breathe, then you're thinking to yourself, something big just happened here. Jesus did something new because Moses was a friend of God, but Jesus is a son of God. And so for the Jewish audience, they said, oh, there's even less distance in this thing than we thought that there was. And then what we learn later in Christian tradition is if it's true of Jesus, it's true of us. So we're not just friends of God, we're children of God. And it seems so simple and so subtle, but it changed the rest of history. This is the moment where God enters into the water of chaos and the thing that is proclaimed over Jesus and proclaimed over humanity is there is not separation. You are on the shores of the river because you want to be cared for. And this God, this divine that created everything knows that about you and would never leave you there alone. That this God goes into the waters with you, into solidarity, with your addictions, with your difficulty, with your pain, with your hurt, with your deconstruction, with your doubt, and letting go all of the trauma of your family, and this God will never leave you by yourself. This is the story of this God. And this God doesn't leave it there. This God leads us into a new positive messaging. And the positive messaging is that you are beloved. You are a child of God, that God delights in you. So much of the messaging that we were given in whatever religious version of Christianity or wherever you came from you were given was a version of fear. Fear only gets you so far. And what the problem with living into fear is it doesn't actually create healing or transformation in your life. And the why this message is so radical is that Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming these things, that God begins Jesus' ministry proclaiming these things over Jesus because this is the root of good news for every human being. And let me pause here so that you hear this part. Our work as a human species is to know that we are beloved because if we do not know that we are beloved, if we are not given this message at some point in our life, hopefully early, and most of the time not, and that's why we carry so many wounds, Most of the time, because it didn't happen at a formative age, we carry so much wounding and hurt with us, and we're just shouting out into the universe, I just want to be cared for. I just want to be cared for. I just want to be loved. I just want to be held. I just want to be known. That's what I want. I want relationship. That's why I'm a sinner. As we're reforming that word and reclaiming it, I'm like every other human being. And the words of Jesus is that you're all beloved. And if we don't find out that we're beloved at an early place in life, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to prove it to ourselves and to others. And when we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove to ourselves and others that we're loved, that's when we break shalom. Because we're hurt. And hurt people hurt people. 
and we'll begin to experience the subtle moments of grace to experience and taste and see God in this radical new reality, we begin to become healed. And heal people, heal people. And as the longer that we spend in this radical healing of our belovedness, we begin to transform. And transform people, transform people. And the longer that we live into this reality, we begin to experience a maturity within ourselves. And as we experience a maturity within ourselves, we no longer just tell ourselves the message of our belovedness. We begin to leak it and mirror it to the rest of the world. Joel Osteen, I know you were waiting for me to get there. Okay, Loki, I forgot about that one as well. The time variance authority. I'm going to put them all together really quickly here because we got tacos to eat. But the powerful story of Loki is that. All of Loki's story is the god of mischief is running around the universe just longing to be cared for. And in these final stories that we're seeing in Loki, you know, get Disney Plus. If you don't have it, please get it. Sign up for the app, Disney Plus. Feel free to give us branding money. It's the story that the god of mischief finally finds another version of himself, literally. And I won't ruin the rest of the story for you like I ruined Harry Potter for so many. That Dumbledore dies in book six. That's your fault for not reading that. Is. Yeah, well, that's a life choice. I don't know what to tell you. you know, those books came out 20 years ago. I would like to be compassionate towards you, but I don't know what to tell you. So Loki literally finds another version of himself that's mirrored into the world. And what we end up seeing, and I won't ruin the story for you, is that he just wants to be loved and known. That the God of mischief is out looking in the universe what we're all looking out in the universe for. And you know who's telling us that message? Joel Osteen. I connected the dots. We got there, baby. I know Joel Osteen. And some of you guys are like, the hair, the smile, the offers of housings and blessings. It just doesn't do it for you. But here's the message. And honestly, this is where I've tried to be learned to be gracious for where I come from. In my world of deconstructing, I just always look back on everything back there and I just shit on it. Instead of saying, God, where's the goodness in that? Do you know what Joel Osteen does every single Sunday for people in his community and around the world? He tells them this beautiful, simple message, and I've said it in here lots of times, you are the best bike rider the world has ever seen. And for millions of Americans and millions of people all around the world, they were never told that message growing up. And because they were never told that incredibly simple message that they were beloved, that they were the apple of their parents' eyes, that they were the apple of God's eyes. They spent the rest of their lives trying to prove it to themselves and to others. And so Joel Lucene comes along with those beautiful white teeth. <laughs> and he fills stadiums around the world just telling you that. And so before you throw it all out, remember that. that there's good in all kinds of things out there, even in the things that we've deconstructed. And then maybe we all need to hear that simple message with one another that we're beloved. And then when we live into that message of beloved, then we begin to support one another in a more beautiful way. And so I'll end with this, godparents. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, for thousands of years, it was the godparents that would name the child. That the child would not be named until the day of christening or baptism. And that a Christian name was given to that child. And the reason for that is in the old school version of it, these godparents were partly responsible for the spiritual journey and formation of these children. They were saying, I'm going to take a committed role in your life so that when your parents forget, I will remind you of your belovedness. It was a support network of integration. And so as we sit here today on the river with one another, 
as we sit here today asking ourselves bigger questions about being beloved, that we don't want to throw that out, that that's the relationship with Jesus that we want to enter into, that Jesus is the one who proclaims universally to humanity that we are beloved, that we are children of God, that we are delighted in by God, and that we don't want to throw that out. And so we get to be godparents to one another. That every time that you come into this room, you get to be reminded, I know that I'm going somewhere safe just for a few hours a week, and hopefully this spreads into the rest of my life where other people are going to mirror to me that I am the best damn bike rider this world has ever seen. That I am good, that I am known, that this is not a story of fear, that's a story of goodness and beauty and life and transformation. I'm just trying to care for myself. But there's going to be some mature people there as well, and they've gone through some stuff. And when I can't stand for myself, when I can't pedal, they're going to pedal for me. They're going to push me along. They're going to be there for me. This is the story that we're trying to create as a community of Jesus, that we are one another's godparents. And as we prepare for August 22nd, for a day where however many people want to go get into some ocean and say, I've been deconstructing some things, I've been letting go of some things, but this is a new moment in my life where I want to step into a new liberation, where I want to declare a larger and bigger story about who Jesus is and who God is, that I do want to be freed from some things and for some things in my life. That what happens is that when we gather that day, whether you go in the waters or not, we still stand there with one another and say, but I'm your godparent. Maybe your family never told you that you were beloved, but I'm going to do that now. Maybe that relationship wasn't there for you, but I'm gonna be that person for you now. Maybe those people have hurt you, but now I'm the person in your life. We're the people in each other's lives who remind each other, you are a child of God. You are beloved by the divine. And every single one of us are delighted in by God. And we are the best damn bike riders this world has ever seen, my friends. And with that, we're going to get back into our groups and answer this question with one another. What would a renewal of a relationship with Jesus look like? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.